0: Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Everyone. These words from Isaiah, they echo through our gospel reading this morning. They hover like a prologue or an overture, putting everything else in its context. Reminding us of the bigger and wider story because the gospel is cosmic. It is bigger than life and it is bigger than death. These words from Isaiah seem to answer one of the deepest questions that the gospel story kindles in our hearts. The same question that my niece likes to ask me to pretty much everything. Why? Why did God create the world? Why did Jesus take on flesh and dwell among us? Why did he die? For us? And after we killed him, why did he come back? And while all of our explanations will necessarily fall short because God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, perhaps these words from Isaiah get just about as close as we can get as humans, as finite created creatures. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters." And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come and eat and drink because God loves you. Because God delights in you. Because God delights in each and every one of us. What do you think heaven looks like? The new heaven and the new earth. The very thing Jesus promises us. Because if you ask me, it looks a lot like these words from Isaiah. In our gospel reading this morning, we we catch up with Jesus and we find him on his journey toward the cross, toward his own death. Jesus has turned his face toward Jerusalem, and at this point, it's intentional. He's making his way toward the end. And on his way, some of those who came to hear him let him know of a deeply distressing current event. A massacre. During worship, some Galileans were put to death. Pontius Pilate's men came and murdered those humans from Galilee while they made sacrifices to God. It's horrific. Now we know from sources outside of the New Testament that Pontius Pilate was an extreme sort of ruler. He was violent and oppressive. Josephus, a first century historian recorded a number of equally disturbing acts by Pilate and it helps us to round out what life was like for contemporaries of Jesus. Pilate's character is something we would do well to remember in our upcoming passion plays during Holy Week. And he seems to do an about face and become a sympathetic character, but I digress. We know that Pilate was a wicked ruler And when Jesus addresses this latest atrocity, somehow he doesn't talk politics. He addresses a far bigger question than was being consciously asked. Do you think, Jesus says, that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, Jesus says. No. Those Galileans died at the whim of a cruel man. And another current event killed 18 people when the Tower of Siloam collapsed, causing mass casualties. There are no adequate explanations, no justification. The tower collapsing was no one's fault. It was a horrible thing that happened. The death of the Galileans was the result of an unjust system, It was a horrible thing, and it happened. And Jesus, by linking these two, seems to be saying that you cannot avoid death. Playing by the rules, or doing the right thing, or opposing the right thing, or eating the right thing, or wearing the right thing. None of these things will stop death. And in linking these events... He pushes back on the worldly hopes of those gathered that his messiahship would be a military kind. The kind that simply overthrows one power and replaces it with another. Because Jesus came instead to overthrow sin and death itself. Jesus came to do something cosmic. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. In our gospel reading today, Jesus tells a parable. He flushes it out by saying that there was a fig tree in a garden, and the owner of the garden comes and asks the gardener why it isn't producing fruit. For three whole years, the owner of that fig tree has been waiting, and they're fed up. They're ready to cut it down and use the wood for fire and use the soil for something else. But the gardener replies and convinces them to wait for just one more year, to care for that tree for just one more year. Now, the way I see it, there are three ways to read this parable. The first is to read it as if the gardener is Jesus and we are the fig tree. Jesus is advocating on our behalf to give us one last chance to understand the beauty that we are offered through him, the life that we are offered. Through Him. The second way to read it is as if Jesus is the owner of the garden and we ourselves are the gardeners, responsible for the health of all the plants in the garden. Like the first interpretation, this reading leads us to the conclusion that we, the fig tree, are being given one more chance to straighten up and repent of our sinful ways and to live instead into the fullness of the kingdom. But everyone who gardens, and I'm sure some of you garden, will know that we don't blame a plant when it doesn't thrive and it doesn't bear fruit. We blame the soil quality. We blame its access to light. We blame the minerals in the soil, the lack or excess of water. I said there were three options, and this is the third. In the third, Jesus himself is the fig tree. And we are responsible to either care For our God made flesh, to water and fertilize and nurture, or to reject and neglect that spark of hope of God's unending and unstoppable love, and in our rejection and neglect, prevent it from bearing fruit. I know that St. Augustine's, that you are exploring death this Lenten season, exploring themes of mortality. So when I say that our gospel reading today is the story of Jesus pointing out that we are all going to die and that it is our choice to live how we are going to live. Whether it's by cruel and indifferent powers that be or by natural causes, death is both an outrage and a certainty. But what happens when we let God do God's thing when we nurture the spark that the gospel lights in our hearts is that we get to see the living God. And through him, we get to see the new heaven and the new earth, and we get to be a part of it in life and in death. We get to be a part of that place where everyone who thirsts comes to the waters and those that have no money buy and eat. We get to see now in part and in the fullness of time in death itself, that we too will drink from those waters and buy and eat without money alongside every other child of God. Reverend Jonathan was really hoping that I would talk about green burials this morning because I've done talks on green burials before, and I wanted to. Honestly, I wanted to. There's a lot of resonance between green burials and a Christian understanding of the created order and our place within it but this text was too compelling and I couldn't resist. I had to instead talk about Easter hope and what it is that Jesus points us toward because it is in knowing that we can't, it is in knowing that, that we can begin to understand that we don't need to fear death. We do not need to live as if skin and scarcity and death get the last word because they don't. The last word is forgiveness. The last word is love, because the gospel is cosmic, and it is bigger than life, and it is bigger than death. So everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Amen.